Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. And Mr. Nate Zielinski, should I be getting out my long rod, or should I be planning on sitting over an ice, a hole in the ice? So I'll tell you, Terry, I think uh, I think the second option is looking a lot more realistic um, for us at this time. Um, yeah, I, yeah, talking ice and open water, it's such a catch-22 for me, Terry, because you know, we're starting our ice seasons earlier and earlier every year. I mean, if you really want to get on the ice, you know, you have options of getting on the ice in October. Um, and even if you want to or don't want to, no matter what, December 1st, we're certainly on the ice. So our seasons are starting earlier and earlier. And, you know, we hit it hard and we catch a ton of fish. And right now, again, like we talked about last week, is our best time of the year for so many species. You know, big pike, big lakers, big walleyes. So, the enthusiasm's there because our giant fish are here. But after being on the ice for several months, um, you know, sitting in a t-shirt, pushing down the throttle on my nitro, sure sounds very appealing. Um, <laughs> but but I did a, a great ice check this week, Terry, and I know we talked about you know what the front range is looking like. Um, you know, Chatfield's near and dear to my heart, right? It's it's my favorite fishery in the state. I went out on Thursday morning and I checked ice kind of everywhere, and the thinnest ice I could find. This is the thinnest was nine and a half inches. Um, with that being said, the thinnest ice I could find was out in front of Plum Creek. So pretty much dead center between the South Marina and the dam, um, kind of in the area that is notoriously the worst ice of the year. It's notoriously the spot that on most years doesn't even freeze. Um, and we had nine and a half there. You know, you're starting to get a little bit of soft shoreline, but it's really not a soft shoreline. It's simply the fact that the waters came up about three vertical feet um, since the start of ice season. So our water level is rising, which is just presenting some of that shoreline water. Um, but really, I mean, we're not even to the point where, you know, we always talk about needing a plank to get on the ice or anything like that. You just step right onto the ice. So um, the ice is thick, and it's it's not in signs of rot. Um, I mean, I had uh, maybe a half inch on the bottom and a half inch on top of a little bit of grave. Other than that, the ice is clear, hard, and um, I mean, we first certainly have uh, another solid week on the ice, if not longer. Um, and then I think we're looking at probably a solid month of, of the melt. Um, so boating season on the front range is a, is a ways away. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. A couple of things I want to um, want to talk about. One is in the next segment we're going to talk a little bit about some of these northern lakes. And some of them are actually starting to show some open water. But Chatfield, Cherry Creek, I'm hearing good things. Of course, the mountain lakes, I'm hearing good things. But you really need to be aware of this time of the year and because conditions change quickly, and not only for safety reasons, safety reasons you have to be aware, but also the fishing can change very quickly too. We're 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 going to be in a unique. We haven't had ice on the front range this late into the season for a while, so it's going to affect the migration and habits of those fish. Some of what they do will be under the ice before we even get to them. So take us through what you're seeing and how you'd approach, say, Chatfield and some of these reservoirs right now. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's probably the craziest thing is you're right. I mean, ice conditions vary. So, you, you know, when we talk about safety, we'll start with that. Watch your shorelines getting on and off. I mean, you can get off 
or get onto the ice, you know, at four in the morning, like I did the other day and everything is super hard. If you were to fish all day, all of a sudden you might go to walk off the ice in the afternoon and you might have, you know, water between the, the good ice of 10 inches and shore just because the water's rising in those shorelines. So keep an eye on the conditions throughout the course of the day. And then obviously I think expansion cracks are the biggest thing that gets people in trouble this time of year. You know, where your ice has been growing all winter, there's expansion cracks everywhere. When, I walked around Thursday. Every expansion crack I could find uh, was closed, and I notoriously know where these cracks, you know, happen almost every year. So I went looking in those areas, and again, all the cracks were locked up. But in the coming week or weeks, um, you're going to see those expansion cracks getting soft. So use caution when crossing those type things. So that's on the ice side of things. As far as the fish side of things, love is in the air. You know, for our walleyes, for our rainbows, for our pike. You know, we are in pre-spawn states for all of those fish so you're going to see those fish um you know holding on as long as they can into their feeding patterns and then they're going to start migrating into their spawning site um the first of these to go is going to be the walleye um we start seeing walleye showing up on the dam faces on the inlets um as early as right now the first week of march we're really pretty much kind of gangbusters in that second third week of march um and again i think everybody thinks that the walleyes will wait um they're not as picky as I think we think they are. Whether there's an ice cap or not, when when Mother Nature says it's time to go, uh, it's time to go. So it might, you know, it might they might push back a little bit, um, but I think we're going to see these fish going into a, a pretty hard, um, you know, migratory zone to start spawning here pretty quick. So I, you know, I still had tons of fish all over the structure on Chatfield on Thursday, uh, but I really think you're going to start seeing those fish migrating towards the dams, migrating towards Plum Creek, migrating towards the south end, um, just because historically, uh, you know, this is the time when they're really in those final, you know, couple days before they get into that spawn mode. So um, I as an angling side of things your two tactics that you're really going to start looking for number one reactionary so you're working spoons very aggressive rattle spoons things like that are really going to help you uh blade baits are going to help you lipless cranks and rattle baits so you want to make that noise take advantage of those fish in that kind of more aggressive state and then i don't think anybody is used to fishing walleyes is shallow um everywhere in the country where you walleye fish into march and april they're used to shallow water walleyes but a lot of times we're not on the ice in march um so i think finding these fish in you know four or five five, six, seven feet of water is not going to be uncommon in the next week or so. So I would put yourself in to say, hey, you know, two, three years ago when I was on my boat in early March, where were I throwing jerk baits? Where was I throwing my, my soft plastics? Think about where you find those walleyes in shallow water, especially near those contour edges. Um, and I think that's going to be a great area to target these fish through the ice um, in this coming week. Um, you know, in the 10-day, 15-day forecast, we have some little warm days, but by no means is it some of those 70-degree, 80-degree days that really helps us break up the ice. So the ice is here. Uh, why we have an opportunity to get some big, giant, you know, pre-spawn and spawn walleyes through the ice, I, I would take advantage. Just use caution, think about going shallow, and think about fishing more aggressive. Uh, you know, I know that with Pueblo will be open water if it's not already, and we take a lot of eggs or Parks and Wildlife does. Do you think that 
the ice is going to affect the egg take on Cherry Creek and Chatfield. In fact, I'm not sure they're taking eggs at Chatfield this year unless they have to, but is it going to affect those operations? You know, it's going to definitely affect the, the Cherry Creek, but luckily the marina is open at Cherry Creek as far as a little bit of open water. Not open to boating, not open to fishing, not things like that. But right where the boats are at, kind of that corner of the dam, there is open water at Cherry Creek. So the the dam face at Cherry Creek opens pretty quick. Um, you know, and obviously Parks and Wildlife does not have to fall under the clause that we do as kind of the public boaters of having the lake be 100% ice-free for that spawn. So um, I would say Chatfield, it's not on schedule right now to be netted this spring. Um, by no means would it be able to, even if it was on schedule. So Chatfield's pretty much out for the egg take. Uh, Pueblo is open. Boat ramps are open. It is ready to go. Um, so everything's good at Pueblo for the egg take. So they're right on schedule. And then I think, you know, maybe not by the 15th when they're scheduled to go, but I would say soon after, I think uh, CPW would be able to make a run along the dam, assuming they're not worried about the ice uh, blowing in on the net. So um, I have not had a conversation with them about this, but, but I think by maybe March 20th, you know, 22nd, I think they might be able to sneak some nets on the dam face at Cherry Creek just because that tends to melt off a little faster. Um, but again, I, I would not plan on boating any of the, the Cherry Creek Chatfield. Um, April 1st, I think, might even be kind of a dream. I think we're probably looking more at the uh, 10th, 15th-ish for our boating season to start down here. But uh, they'll be in full swing at Pueblo. And even if they only have Pueblo, uh, they will be able to you know maintain our egg numbers from there. And they do have two backup locations set. Um, I don't really know if it's super public information, but they have two other reservoirs out side of Chatfield and Cherry Creek um, kind of locked in for an emergency plan for those eggs. So uh, no matter what, we will uh, we will have our walleyes uh, for the continuation of our, our cycles there. What about the fishing at Cherry Creek? You still getting on the ice there or is it getting a little... We, we are. We are. We're still getting on the ice at Cherry Creek. Fishing is good. Uh, but with that said, I would say it's nowhere near Chatfield, Terry. And um, honestly, we're, we're catching some big fish at Cherry Creek. Um, the shorelines are a hair softer there. And again, kind of over on that far north side, those rocks are warming up. So we're, we're losing some access off like the dam type areas. But the, you know, lake loop points and all those type access points, you're still getting on the creek, no problem. Um, but just the, the fishing Cherry Creek to Chatfield um, with a lacking shad at Chatfield, that bite is so good. Um, I'm having a hard time, you know, making the drive to Cherry Creek when, when the walleye bite is as good as it is at Chatfield. Let's change things up a little. Well, but first, I want to talk hunting, but before we do, what about the mountains and the pike? We're doing great, Terry. You know, the the snow has kind of slowed down a little bit, which is great. Um, you know, kind of like Dan was saying up uh, up there, Snow can be good and bad, right? Snow can insulate it to prolong the ice season, which we love. Um, but too much snow this time of year can really start to wear on the oxygen levels, especially in those really shallow lakes. So Delaney Butte, Lake John, and Taro, um, those are the type of fisheries that can really take a beating with too much snow. And honestly, kind of a new one to the list is Spinney. The water level at Spinney is so drastically low. Um, the entire kind of northeast half and really just that, that whole kind of section over there from the Bird Islands to the entrance um, is so low in water, we're really starting to worry about the oxygen levels there. So, um, you know, had we continued with the snow that we had been getting, um, I was really starting to worry about winter kills. But the snow was kind of tamed down, um, so things are looking good there. So we're excited about that. I think all the lakes are going to come through really strong. Um, 
I've been putting most of my focus on pike and lake trout, but the rainbows are going good. So you're starting to see those fish come shallow at Antero. So the boat dock areas where they were stocked are good. You're seeing fish migrating to the inlet areas, which is great. Um, 11 Mile, you know, it has your main inlet from your South Platte comes from Spinney, but there's a lot of little tributaries that come in. So that little creek that comes in at Witcher's Cove has drawn a ton of fish. Um, the North Shore where these fish get stocked is loaded with fish right now. Um, everything like Cross Creek actually by the inlet is loaded with fish. So lots of good rainbow opportunities for those big fish moving up shallow. Um, again, like I said, the Lakers are coming shallow. They're starting to get super aggressive. But most of all, probably my, my number one trip right now is those pike. Um, you know, we talked about the last couple shows, but our pike are in that pre-spawn state. They're getting much more uh, vulnerable to the anglers. So they're, they're more coming on a pattern um, that we're able to target them a lot easier um, and it's just more of a continuous bite. So we're really excited about that because the pike are, are really in the favor of the anglers right now. So we're doing a lot of that uh, to the ice in the coming weeks. You know, one comment quick before I want to move on to some hunting and that's that you talked about the trout gathering up at the inflow. Part of that's the spawn, but part of that's we are getting some warm enough days that some of the snow melts or some of the new snow melts and that inflow coming under the ice is adding valuable oxygen to a lot of those to a lot of those lakes, and that's probably gathering a lot of those trout also. You're even getting some food coming in with it, yeah. So you're getting food coming in, you're getting a ton of oxygen. So there's definitely a huge draw there for that, absolutely. Let's talk about the big game uh, application is open. Uh, people can go online. You can get the big game brochure. But what should I be doing right now? What you know? What should I be kind of doing electronic scouting to pick where I want to hunt? What should I be doing right now? Okay, so I think the biggest thing right now is, you know, it, it's open. So you can actually officially put in for your licensing. I always tell people, you know, hey, I, I don't get too excited right now. Obviously, I never wait till the last minute. You want to have time in case something goes wrong, in case, you know, there's something wrong with a past year situation or anything. So you don't want to wait till the last minute. But right now, everything's just coming out. So they just issued basically the point. Um, so you are now able to kind of look at what certain units took last year to draw points. And to be honest, Terry, we have a lot of things happening with points in Colorado. And this is something we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks. But we have two major things that really cycled in, maybe three we'll call it. So number one, COVID hit. When COVID hit, more people got in the outdoors. So we had a huge influx um, of new hunters putting in for big game licenses, which kind of threw the whole system off. You had more people putting in for tags. Um, and with that, the tags became more affordable with the way we changed our draw. So all of that kind of hit and boosted, you know, the amount of hunters putting in for certain tags. Then the other big thing we had when they did our five-year structure, it pushed our seasons later. So archery season went from starting in late August to starting September 2nd. And then that fourth rifle, which is like the premium deer rut, as well as just a great late season elk hunt, um, those went later, you know, roughly 10 days later, taking you to the end of November. So a lot of hunters that had been sitting on points burned those points because they either wanted the, you know, they wanted the later seasons, whether it was later for archery or later for that late rifle hunt. Um, tags that used to take certain points drastically went up because these people that had not been, you know, putting in for a unit, they'd just been acquiring points, now flooded the system and put in points. Um, so that did a major boost. Then we also have had all the talk about wolves. 
Um, you know, whether you're for it, pro it, this is not that conversation. This is simply for the fact that there's a lot of hunters in the northwest corner of the state that have been holding on to points that are now having concerns that the wolves will affect the elk population, will affect the deer population, and they are burning their points. So long story short, in the past, we've been fairly consistent of being able to say, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm going to draw this tag with this many points. Um, things have been changing a lot in the last three years um, due to all the factors that I just talked about. So look at stats from last year. Look at how many people put in, what it took, where these areas are at. So I think right now I encourage everybody within the next week before we join you next weekend on the show, just look at last year's draw. Look at what it took. Look at the harvest result. You know, talk to big game processors. Talk to taxidermists. Do some education on where you want to go, what the points are, was there good harvest results, all of that kind of stuff. Um, And then next week we'll kind of continue talking about this just to help everybody make the best educated decision um, on what they should do for their tags. But right now it's education. I'm not putting in for tags. I'm just looking at what my points are. I'm looking at what tags are. And I'm just kind of getting some ideas of what's happening. And next weekend I'll walk you through the next step in this process. All right, my friend, we are out of time. If people want to book a trip or talk to you, how do they get a hold of you? Absolutely, Terry. TightlineOutdoors.com, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. Uh, I know that personally I had a cancellation this week, so I got one walleye opening, and I believe I have one pike opening this week, uh, which is rare for me to have these late-minute openings, but we have everything going. So just search out Tightline Outdoors, figure out how to get a hold of us. We would love to get you on the ice for some of this amazing bite. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, Nate Belinsky, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, uh, Brad Peterson is going to join us, and he's going to kind of update us on the northern front range of Colorado, what's going on on the ice, and also about a new fishing newsletter he's putting out. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones and joining us. He's a regular contributor on this show. He started his fishing career with the folks at In Fisherman. He, he's a guide. He's uh, And he started a new newsletter, Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. You know, I thought we might, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I thought maybe we should jump right into your newsletter because it covers a bunch of the topics on the Northern Front Range that I wanted to talk about. So why don't you tell us about it and kind of take us through what's in this latest issue? Yeah, so I started a newsletter called the NOCO Fishing News, and it's covering the current conditions, fishing bites, and additional information, you know, looking at fish surveys and stuff like that for the northern Colorado region, predominantly the northeast from about, you know, that Castle Rock area heading north to Wyoming and all the way out to Nebraska. And um, what we're trying to do is get you the latest information. And what's really important right now, as Nate just talked about, you know, conditions are changing quickly. And knowing if you're wanting to get out and do some open water fishing, um, we've got information on where the, the current best spots for that are happening, how the ice is holding up. Uh, and then we'll also be doing a lot about when boat ramps are going to open because with ANS inspectors, the state is having some issues getting enough inspectors. So hours may be changing 
on the inspection from what we've seen the last few years. So just trying to get people the latest information so that they can go out and enjoy their time on the water. Take us to maybe some of the things you've either in the newsletter or that you've found where you're looking, researching for it about local conditions up here in the northern front range. Uh, is the ice holding up? Are we starting to see almost fishable open water? Take us through a few of the opportunities. Yeah, you know, if you're looking for open water after Nate's report down in the metro area, I think you need to head north because there are a few spots up here that have some open water to them. Carter has probably the most. It, it at one point in time was almost completely ice-free, and then we had a cold night uh, about three, four days ago, and it, it capped over about 80%, 90% again. But uh, yesterday it was open. About a third of it was open. And then we also have just off Highway 66 a little lake called McCall. And it is about uh, somewhere between a third and half open there. So we've got two spots that definitely you can go up and fish from shore. Then... Uh, some of the other bigger bodies of water, you're starting to see some open water, um, such as Union has got an opening out in the middle. That has doubled in size uh, since uh, Tuesday. And about the same thing with Boyd. Uh, Boyd on the south end in the middle has a little bit of an open hole that's been created. But Boyd could take a while because even though there's that open water, you go along the shoreline and or just out from the shore, but closer to uh, not not out in the middle. And you're talking there's eight, nine inches of ice in some of those spots. So we are looking with this upcoming weather. It's, it's going to be a couple more weeks before you can get the boat out, but there are opportunities to get out and do some open water fishing from the shore. Just kind of take a look around. You know, that, that early open water from the shore especially for front-range trout. You know, a lot of the lakes are stocked with trout all year long, and they've had quite a bit of time to grow, and they're a cold-water species. They grow during the winter also, and trout that were 9, 10, 11 inches are now 12, 13, 14 inches. And a lot of the bigger bodies of water, like Boyd and Carter and Horsetooth, have some carryover trout. Uh, one year, Karen and I fishing from the shore about this time of the year, she caught a giant rainbow out of Carter, just a beautiful fish. So there are some opportunities. Now, the fishing can turn on and off in this kind of conditions, but, boy, you don't need that lake open. You just need room to cast and work that open water because once that water opens up, if you can cast to it, you're going to get bug life and minnow life. It's going to bring in the predator fish, not to mention spawning activity. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and what you're talking about with Carter, uh, in the last uh, issue, I did an an, an uh, analysis of horse tooth and Carter, their last about four uh, fishery survey summaries uh, or fishery surveys by CPW. And Carter is showing a lot of trout in that 16 to 20 inch range, you know, that are being held over. So your opportunity to get a bigger trout right then or, or up at Carter and in the springtime, they're a lot closer to shore. So your opportunity to get one of those big fish is really good. And as you say, you don't have to be far from shore with your presentation. You just need to be able to get a, a reasonable cast out. And that doesn't even mean a long bombing cast because most of the time in the spring when I'm fishing, 
I'm quartering the shore. You know, those fish have come up that that's water right at the edge of, you know, the line between the water and the shoreline. That's going to be the warmest water right there. That's where your bug life's going to be. And that's what's going to draw those fish in. So you don't have to go out there and cast as far as you can out into the middle of the lake to catch fish. What about, you said you, uh, this last issue, you had some of the stocking or test uh, net survey information from Carter and Horsetooth. Give us a few of the trends from each lake. Well, Carter has a real good population of walleyes in it that are um, in the 16 to 20 inch range, which that right there is the size that you can keep up at Carter. And the trout at Carter, again, I, I kind of mentioned those better sized trout. There are some largemouth bass at Carter that get overlooked. There's not a ton of them, but the size is pretty good. There's a lot of those fish that are in that, you know, around that three pound range and even a little bigger. So it could, it's a little bit of a sleeper there. And then when you start looking at the uh, horse tooth, You've got some good and bad news. The overall walleye numbers have been on a slow decline over the last four samples. But the numbers of walleye in that 20-inch-plus range have been going up. So if you want to go target bigger walleyes, horsetooth may be one of your best bets. And then for smallmouth bass, on the positive side, the trend is for a little bit larger fish. They're starting to see more of those 14-inch-plus smallmouth in horsetooth. Horsetooth had kind of been notorious for having a little bit smaller smallmouth in there, and they're starting to get a little bit better quality in there. And then I know as, as you and Karen have experienced, um, they've got some nice bluegills getting established up at horsetooth. They do. And uh, also we're seeing some wipers and white bass too. Yep, they've stocked those, and, and they're starting to show up. Uh, most of the people that are getting into them are getting into them on boils. Um, so, you know, kind of that midsummer pattern when you're seeing them up there blowing up on, on shad or other bait fish up shallow, and they're getting on them and catching some, and that's when they really get on good numbers of them. There's incidental catches throughout the rest of the year, but uh, that that's going to add a real – nice diversity to the fishery up there at Horsetooth that, uh, you know, can provide some good opportunities. The one thing with Horsetooth is when it gets warm and those boils are happening, the lake starts to get crowded with a lot of boat traffic. So it's a real early in the morning or right about dark type bite for you to find those and, and have the best luck. Real quick, because we're running out of time. As your newsletter comes out, what other waters are you going to be analyzing, and how do people get the newsletter? So we've already done Chatfield and Cherry Creek. Um, Union will be coming up. The lakes out on the northeast, I probably will not be doing a whole lot on this year because they weren't sampled last year. And with the low water levels, talking to some of the biologists and the park rangers, it's really going to be unknown as far as how the fisheries are doing, surviving. I do know that Mandy, the biologist out there, is going to try to get out this spring and do a little bit of sampling. If that happens, I'll have those results out there. But I'm going to be giving fishing reports everywhere that I'm at and, and hear stuff. So the best way to get a hold of 
the newsletter or get subscribed is go to nocofishingnews.substack.com or you can go to my Facebook page at Brad Peterson Outdoors. And I just put a post on about being on the radio and uh, there's a link right there that people can sign up to the newsletter. It's coming out weekly, uh, typically on Wednesdays. All right, my friend, I'm going to let you go. If they need that information to get your newsletter or just to book a trip with you or talk to you about fishing or waterfall hunting, it's Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook and other social media. And, of course, you're a regular contributor on this show. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Brad Peterson. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by J.R. Pierce, and we're going to be talking getting ready for turkey hunting. You need to be working on what, how you're going to, the combination of gun, choke, and shot you're going to use, and you need to do it now. All that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones. Joining us, one of our favorite contributors. He has so much knowledge about the shooting world, uh, J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning, J.R. And good morning to you, Terry. And I hope you're doing well today. I know it hasn't been the most pleasant couple weeks for you, but I hope you're doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, things can always be worse, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why were you talking to me? So how could it get much? Uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, don't tell me. Hey, my, fr- my, my friend. Turkey season is right around the corner, and too many people are going to wait till the last minute. Um, we've talked about how important patterning is, knowing your limitations, and knowing what your combination of gunshot and choke uh, will, how they will perform, and are they adequate for how you feel your needs are. I think a couple of the questions, if I'm starting turkey hunting, do I, can I use a gun I may already have for something else? Or should I have a special gun just for turkey hunting? And how much difference will it make in how I approach things? Why don't you kind of start us into that? Well, and Terry, yeah. I mean, and you're very right. There are a lot of potential considerations and options when choosing a shotgun for your turkey hunting. And although we can never stress enough the need to pattern your shotgun with the chokes and the loads you'll be using, uh, choosing your firearm and the accessories attached to it is really the first step in the preparation process and terry since we really we have no affiliation with any choke ammo or firearms manufacturers uh the information we pass on today will just be observations data and feedback uh we've collected from years of helping colorado outdoorsmen and women uh, make every opportunity you know opportunity count at that old long beard so i think think first step is to ask a few basic questions you kind of touched on them there you know do i have a shotgun uh, should I use it as is, or should I, uh, you know, accessorize it for turkey, uh, or get a turkey turkey specific gun? Uh, if you don't have a gun, you, you know, do you buy that turkey gun or purchase a multi-purpose firearm? And of course, what type of gun, such as a 12 or a 20 gauge, uh, bolt, brake action, pumps, and semis? And of course, there are 
uh, always nowadays budget and availability limitations that will come into play. So, and we can touch on all these as we move along with some of the common questions. And I think probably one of the most common ones is the one you touched on, Terry, which is um, if I have a shotgun and I use it for uh, perhaps target shooting or um, hunting uh, waterfowl. Um, can I use that for turkey? Well, the question is absolutely yes. Bring it out, test it as is, as it is. Find out your um, effective range and uh, learn about that gun. But I would also say there are so many um, accessories that can be purchased nowadays that can increase your accuracy and your gun's usefulness in the field. And I think some of the most common ones, of course, are going to be um, your length of the barrel that's one and a lot of the most re, uh, you know most common guns nowadays uh, you can purchase barrels that are more user friendly in the field being a shorter barrel uh, those barrels come tapped and can use the same uh, loads and chokes as um, your your other uh, barrel lengths but makes the gun more usable in the field uh, a lot of the other things that are going on nowadays is of course do i use just my standard sights or should I get an aftermarket sight, perhaps a low power scope or a red dot? And when I do that, what adjustments will I have to make to the gun to make sure that my point of aim and point of impact uh, don't change? And of course, there's many other uh, considerations, Terry. Some of these guns nowadays, you can get different stocks with a pistol grip. A lot of people think that stabilizes the gun. Um, you know, put slings on there, camouflage, much, much more. So doing the research on that stuff is definitely one of the first steps to make sure you have the gun set up, how you're going to use it in the field before we go out and pattern and test it. All right, so we go out and pattern and test it, and I'm, if I'm extremely happy with it, well, the number one thing you and I talk about all the time is let that pattern, if you're going to hunt with that gun the way it is, know your limitations so you're taking an ethical shot. Don't try shooting a bird at 50 yards if you can only pattern that that really well at, say, 30 yards. You're going to have to take that into consideration and get good at judging distances. But what if I want to improve my distance I, with my existing gun? What can I add? Choke? Absolutely. The very first thing you're going to do is get a choke that is tight enough to hold a pattern at the you know maximum distance you're trying to achieve in combination with the proper ammo. So uh, consider, am I going to use lead ammunition versus some of the tungsten? Um, some of the, the tungsten is going to weigh uh, a fair percentage more than the lead for that size, and therefore you can actually get the same energy with a smaller pellet, get more pellets, putting more pellets on target, and thus increasing your effective range um, and, uh, you know, how many pellets you put on target. So all those considerations I strongly recommend, and we have been for years, Terry, um, if you want to have the best performance out of your gun at the maximum distance it is capable of, definitely invest in the aftermarket and turkey-specific choke tubes and try out the turkey-specific hunting ammo because we have noticed over the years that those perform the best when you find the right combination with your gun. So you really are saying that the, if I have a shotgun I'm going to use for multiple uses, I put a turkey tube or a turkey-type choke on that gun, it's going to make it a much better turkey gun, but... 
I have to test it with the different ammos to find out, because we've found out testing over the years, you and I, that that what you think might be the best ammo for that situation might not perform at, well at all in your combination of gun and choke. Yeah, that's very true, Terry, and there are a lot of uh, custom choke manufacturers out there. There are a lot of, uh, you know, on-the-shelf aftermarket chokes, and, of course, most of the manufacturers have their own versions as well, but there can be a very drastic difference in the patterning uh, characteristics of those chokes on the same gun and with uh, even ammo uh, being the same uh, in all three. So we've done multiple tests with multiple chokes, multiple ammo, and they do not all perform the same. So it's really important to decide, am I going to just use the ammo that I have available or that I've chose uh, and the choke that I have? And like you said, you're going to have a limitation uh, with that combination, whatever it may be, it may pattern very well, and it may not do what you thought. Sometimes one of the big considerations is definitely muzzle velocity. Um, speed works out sometimes, but oftentimes your best patterns are going to come with a slower load, and it's definitely more important to put more pellets on target than to have them be moving at a higher velocity. All right, now I'm going to just take a minute because I want to move on to something else, but if I'm looking to buy a turkey-specific gun, do you have a recommendation? Uh, well, uh, recommendations are going to be based on a few things, Terry. The obviously, um, your, um, you know, the uh, cost of the gun is going to be a factor for a lot of people. So, the most uh, economic purchase would be looking at a pump gun. They're very common. They're common because they are affordable. They're very reliable in you know field conditions and dirty. Uh, conditions. Uh, they have a lot of accessories on them or available, depending on which one you purchase. Uh, that gun allows you multiple shots if you need, need follow-up shots, um, and it comes with often many um, accessories from you know barrel length sights, stock slings, etc. Uh, the felt recoil will be more on the pump gun, but they do cross over very well for hunting, home defense, and target. And, of course, the next one would be look into a semi-automatic, a uh, very common gun as well. They are a little more expensive, but in general, they are reliable if you keep them clean. Uh, plenty of accessories as well. They're good for multiple shots, which is good for uh, if you needed a follow-up shot on a other uh, hunting situations. Uh, considerations, of course, in the semi-automatic will be inertia versus gas guns. Um, that'll affect felt recoil. And uh, they do tend to need cleaned a little more often than the pump-type gun or the brake gun. And uh, last year, I said, looking at the brake guns, uh, they're very combo, they're very simple, thus very reliable, but they can be purchased in a turkey-specific gun as well with all the accessories you can get on the others. So uh, my recommendation would be look at your budget and look at your um, potential other uses for the gun and start making decisions based on that. And finally, of course, you know I'll always talk fishing and I will always talk patterning and uh, shotgun efficiency. So if there's any questions we can help out with, certainly uh, touch base with us. All right, real quick, you've got league starting. Uh, how is the status of that? Can people still get in your leagues? Yeah, uh, Trap League, March 15th. Sporting Clays League, March 22nd. Uh, just give us a call. We can uh, give you all the information you need and get you signed up for either one of those. And also, you have an event coming up called uh, Cast and Clays. Tell me about that real quick. 
All right, that's going to be Sunday, June 4th, Terry. That's our once-a-year combination fishing and shooting tournament. Uh, that will be done at Bar Lake State Park and Colorado Clays. We are registering now. It's a team event, $100 uh, for a two-person team. And the basic uh, format is we fish from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Bar Lake. You get one point per inch on your game fish you and your teammate catch up to state limits. Come to Colorado Clays, have a great lunch, go down and shoot 100 targets per team, 50 each, get one point per target, come back up to the tent, and then all of our great sponsors, TransWest, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, uh, Ramos Law, uh, we start giving away prizes and uh, hand out uh, trophies, uh, gifts for categories in there. It's just a great day, and if you've never done it, you need to sign up. We are out of time. If people want to contact you, coloradoclays.com, the best way, and we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay. Thank you, Terry. You bet. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a teardrop in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love. I somehow couldn't keep. You are listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan, and Ty is sucking up to me big time there playing music from Wickstrom and Dobrith. I appreciate it, Ty. Thank you so much. That's uh, another song from our EP that came out a little over a year ago. It's available along with our newly released single on almost anywhere you stream music or go to social media and search Wickstrom and Dobrith. There's lots of information there. Speaking of social media, if you're new to this show and you like what you heard today, the information on the outdoors, our goal is to make your outdoor experience better, to give you information to help you be more successful and have more fun. Uh, you should follow this show on Facebook. That's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And we'll take, we'll podcast, we'll put links to a lot of the podcasts of the segments we do on Saturday there so you don't have to go look for them. We'll tell you about upcoming uh, guests. We'll, we'll, we'll do field reports. If I get out fishing or something in the field, we'll do an immediate report on that, usually with that same day so you get those conditions. So follow us at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Now, uh, also we have our YouTube channel for fishing which is the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And you probably heard uh, Brad talking about some of the lake analysis on his NOCO fishing newsletter that he's putting out, which you can get by going to bradpeterson.com. I'm sorry, Brad Peterson Outdoors on social media. And it's a very fact-filled report that he's coming out with, I think every week, not 100% sure. But he talked about bass fishing at Carter Lake, which you don't hear much about. Well, you go to the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube, and you'll find Chad Lachance posted an episode of my one of my television shows, Just Bass Fishing at Carter Lake. <clears throat> so he's going to show you how to do it, what he did. In fact, the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, uh, we've got maybe, I don't know, between 150 and 200 episodes up there. Karen adds new episodes, which are really remakes of our legacy television shows we filmed in the past. But a lot of that stuff was filmed right here in your backyard. The two shows, Mountain States Fishing and Angling Adventures, combined to make that YouTube channel. And Mountain States Fishing was all done within a day's drive of Colorado, or of the front range of Colorado. So it's right in your backyard, and it's 
from a few a while ago, but it still has a lot of great information. The other shows that'll show up there are destination fishing. Like you might during this shoulder period where we're in the transition from ice to open water or next fall when it starts getting cold you may want to take a trip to florida louisiana uh, the bahamas even we've got shows on all of those locations kind of telling you where we stayed how we enjoyed it what we did and what kind of fishing we experienced and then of course if you want to go on a summer trip we have a lot from alaska minnesota and canada i think there's 15 or 16 shows just in Alaska, and I don't know how many in Minnesota and Canada. So check us out, social media, both Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and Wickstrom and Dover's Music. Check us out. I want to thank Ty for keeping us on the air, making this show go. Karen for putting everything together and keeping the communications and keeping me in line. Uh, someday I'm going to share some of the little criticisms that I get when I slurp my coffee online or clear my throat and how Karen makes sure that I toe the line. She uh, highly involved in making this show successful. But join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 104.3 The Fan. I'm